1 Thessalonians 5. So if you'd like to stand, I'm going to read the scriptures this morning. We're going to jump in and uh, we're going to finish our service today uh, with the Lord's Supper. We're going to do it a little different than we have ever done it in the past, uh, but you're getting used to different, right? Uh, okay, here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5:11. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Father in heaven, I, I thank you to be gathered with uh, your people today. I thank you for the opportunity to sing Great is your faithfulness, God. I've been thinking about that all morning, God, that, that morning by morning, new mercies we see, all I've needed, thy hands have provided. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Father, that um, we get to be together. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we have your word. Thank you, Father, for the beauty of the gospel that we'll get to celebrate here in a few minutes. Uh, thank you, Father, for for spiritual people investing in our lives. God, I thank you for disciple makers. I thank you for people that have their eye out for, for folks to minister to. God, make, make those increase. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Isn't, isn't the Word of God so creative and beautiful? You know, two weeks ago we were in chapter 4, and uh, we were in a pretty hard passage on sexual morality. We went from that to the very next passage, which was on death. Like, what happens? If you were here last, last week, we talked about what happens when you die? Like, what, where do you go? And, and as a believer, you know, what's next and what's next and what's next? And, and then, then the second coming, you know? And then today, we're talking about spiritual leadership. We're talking about disciple making. And I, I just, sometimes I marvel at just the, the wisdom of God to pack so many areas of our life into these little books of the New Testament. So, so today, what we're talking about is we're talking about spiritual leadership. We're talking about getting involved in people's lives, okay? Getting involved in people's lives to make disciples, to expend time and energy and effort to pour into others to help them follow Jesus. Now, the question I was asking myself yesterday, I had a long drive yesterday, I uh, went to, did a wedding uh, on the other side of the city, and so I was driving, uh, doing a lot of time to think, and one of the questions I asked myself was, do I need to convince you that this is worth your time? You know, so, so a lot of what we have in this passage is how to do it, you know, it's, it's how to exhort, how to, how to help the weak, how to, how to encourage the faint-hearted, how to admonish the idle. But, but the question I was asking is, but do I, do I need to stop first and, and make a case to you that this ought to be a part of your life, that, that as a born-again believer, as someone who's redeemed and, and joined to Jesus, that, that you, you ought to give time to this? And, and I'm not sure what the answer to that is, honestly. So, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to talk just a little bit about why I think the Scripture would say you ought to pay attention to this 
for yourself. One of the things I think happens in, uh, in life is we can get into a really bad habit. It's called the in and out habit, okay? It's called the in and out habit. Now, I, I, we've all done it, but, but it, it just it, it becomes a problem when we, when we begin to have, it's habit forming, okay? It is, what I called in the last service, it's relational cocaine, all right? It's habit forming, okay? So what in and out is, is have you ever pulled up to Walmart and you had a little huddle in the car and you said, all right, guys, we are going to get in and out of here as fast as we can, you know? Don't talk to anybody, you know, avoid John Hansen. Try to go around, you know, get, get, don't, if you see somebody, duck and cover, and let's, let's get in and out as quick as we can, right? Because get in and out as quick as we can because we got to get home to, I don't know, what do you got to get home to do? We've always got something, right? We got to get home to whatever that is, right? Now, there, there's a time and place for that, you know? Um, sometimes we got a, something to go to, a program, a, something starting at some time. I get that. But, but the, the problem with an in and out life is it becomes habit forming. Pretty soon, we start approaching all of life in that way. We start coming to church. And one of, our, one of our, our, our goals at church is, I need to get in and out of there as quick as I can. I don't want to be held up by man. You know, I've even heard people rebuking their family on the way to the car. I told you not to talk to them. You, know, yeah, you got tied up. There you are again. You're back there ministering to somebody. We got to go wherever, right? Like, like, like It's really habit-forming to begin to get the mentality of life is about getting in and out so that we can get home to do whatever we need to do. Now, the problem that, that I think the scriptures would have with that is, you remember what Jesus told Peter uh, as, as he drew Peter into a relationship with himself? He said, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Remember that? I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Now, I, I don't claim to be some great fisher. I'm not like Pastor Gary, you know, fisher. I'm not, I don't have great fishing skills, but I do know this. I have never once met a fisherman who pulled up to a pond and who said, all right, our goal is to get in and out as quickly as possible, right? Like, like I, I just, let's get to the water, throw our line in, and get out. Let's get out of here, you know? I, I just, I don't know any fishermen that function in that way, right? If they are, they're not very good fishermen. And so the case that I would make to you is this should very much be on your plate, and let me tell you why. There's a therefore at the beginning of verse 11. You see that? You always pay attention to the therefores in, in the Bible. So, so when it says, encourage one another and build up one another just as you're doing, you know, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. In verse 14, you know, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Okay, why? Well, verse 11 starts out with therefore. Now, if you back up in the Scriptures, okay, so just do this with me. So just back up. Let's see what that therefore is all about. Well, that therefore starts in chapter 5, verse 1, okay? That's what he's referring to. And here's what he says. Concerning times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. For you are not in darkness, brothers, that the day should surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore... All right, so you see what leads up to the therefore? 
So what leads up to the therefore is Jesus Christ is coming back and he's coming back like a thief in the night and you're not gonna expect it. Don't let it catch you by surprise. Now don't let it catch you by surprise. Doesn't mean try to figure out when it's gonna be. It means make sure you're ready. What does it mean to be ready? Therefore, right? Verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up. Be about the business that God has left you here to be. All right? So the day of the Lord, the day when every unbeliever, everybody who's not a follower of Jesus, everybody who does not live by faith in Jesus Christ, who's not joined to Jesus, will give an account for their life before Christ. Okay? That day is when every believer... Okay, if you're joined here, joined to Christ today, if you're a believer, that day is about the day where you will give an account for what you did with the life that God has given you. And so we need to be careful about being an in and out person who hurries home to get take care of whatever when there's actually labor to be done spiritually. Now, who's he talking about here? When he says, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another. Who, who, who's he talking about? Well, um, he's talking about every born-again believer. The one another there tips me off that, that he's, this is not talking about staff. Okay, uh, Now, it applies to pastoral staff. Uh, we have formal staff people here at Lincoln Avenue. We've got pastors and we've got small group leaders. We're super thankful for them. We've got deacons. We've got Sunday school teachers. We've got, we've got all of those people. But we also have what I would consider that he's talking about here, which would be disciple makers, which would be spiritual friendships, which is one believer pouring into another believer, one strong Christian helping a weak Christian. Every believer having this mission on their mind of being a disciple maker, okay? One of the things that we've said here at Lincoln, I want to say again, is at Lincoln Avenue, the jobs are never all taken, okay? The leadership positions are never all taken. It's impossible for them to be all taken, all right? Now, if you come in here today, if you're visiting, and, and you say, well, you know, I play the piano, but it looks like they already got a piano player. I, I, I like to, to sing. I like to lead in worship. It looks like they already got a worship leader. I, I kind of like to preach, but it looks like they already got a preacher, okay? You're thinking too small, okay? Because the Bible, again, verse 11 says, therefore, encourage one another. Because of the judgment day that is approaching that's going to catch people by, by surprise, you should encourage one another and build up one another just as you're doing. That's a job that is never taken, okay? There's always room for that. There is no limit upon that. The only limit upon that is time, really. The only, the only thing that limits you being a disciple maker, the only li- thing that limits you Pouring into other people spiritually, encouraging other people spiritually, helping them be ready for that day. The only limit really is time. One of the things that um, I've found in my life is there's never enough breakfast. That's, that's, I want you to put that on my tombstone. There's never enough breakfast, right? That, that's, that's the limiting factor. Right on Monday, I have a I have a six a.m. discipleship meeting, and on Tuesday, I have a, a six a.m. and a seven a.m. On Wednesday, I have a five thirty and a six thirty. On Thursday, I have a six a.m. On Friday, I have a five thirty and a six thirty. On Saturday, I have a noon. I just wish I had another couple breakfasts. That that like that's the limiting factor. And and, and listen, I I'm a guy whom you guys have set apart. Thank you so much. Have set apart my life to just do that. Imagine 
Some of you who go to work at 6 and don't get off till 6. You see, what's the limiting factor? Time, right? It's not that you don't have a position. It's not that you don't have a title. The, The only limiting factor to your influence in the lives of other people is just simply time. It's just redeeming that time, which is, make that, which is what makes that in and out life so complicated. That's what complicates discipleship is, it, is when we get this mentality, we've got to get in and out so we can get home to do whatever, whatever needs to be home, done at home. Sometimes I like to avoid home, but you guys, y'all want to get there. I, get, I don't know. Now, I love my family. Just I don't love doing dishes, but anyway, <laughs> that, some of you guys must really like that. Let's look at this spiritual leadership, okay? So what are we talking about when we talk about spiritual leadership? I want to give you three characteristics of a spiritual leader, okay? Three characteristics. So what does it mean to be a spiritual leader? Well, verse 12 tells us very very clearly what that means, all right? Verse 12 says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who, number one, labor among you. All right, what, what do you need to do to be a spiritual leader? You need to be willing to work. You need to be willing to work. You need to be willing to labor in the lives of other people. Now, let's think about what, what it means to labor. What is the word labor? What is hard work uh, characterized by? And I, and I would say three things, okay? I would say, number one, time, okay? Any, anytime you talk about hard work, you're talking about time, right? You're talking about, number two, effort, energy, okay? Something that wears you out. And number three, you're talking about resistance, right? So time and effort, and resistance are the thing that makes up hard work. If, 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 it's not, if you don't have those things, it's not hard work, right? If Jeff comes up to, to dig a trench and he takes his shovel and he puts it in the dirt and it's some kind of special dirt, it is so light that it doesn't weigh anything. And like he throws it and it goes like a quarter mile, you know? And he just, you know, just bam, he's got the, it wasn't hard work, was it? No, that's not hard work. Hard work's when Jeff does a shovel and it's like, is that concrete, you know? What? Like it's resistance, right? That's what makes for hard work, all right? And so Paul is saying here that, that those who labor among you, in other words, those who, 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 who are willing to put in the effort and the time to combat the resistance of people growing and coming to follow Jesus. Did you know that there's lots of resistance to people following Jesus? What kind of resistance is there? Well, first of all, there's our own broken sinfulness. Every one of us has this thing the Bible calls the flesh. You know what the flesh is? It's your inclination to go the wrong way. All right? You're like an old farm truck that's out of alignment, and every time you let go of the steering wheel, it wants to go in the ditch. That is you, isn't it? That is me. All right? We have this flesh in which we are inclined the wrong way. We're inclined to selfishness. We're inclined to anger. We're inclined to lust. We're inclined to greed. We're inclined to laziness. We're inclined to unforgiveness. We're inclined to hatred. We all automatically, naturally do those things. It's, it's resistance, okay? We, we, we are not only... Meet resistance according to our flesh, but we meet resistance according to the world. If, if you've watched the news, if you've, you've paid attention to movies, you know there is a false narrative. There is a, a culture that is permeated with lies. There's a real Satan who controls a real world system. The Bible describes it simply as the world that is designed to make you disregard God. It's designed to keep you from honoring God, to keep you from believing the truth, to convince your mind of, 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 of lies. And, and so what we're going to find is anytime you try to help somebody follow Jesus, you're going to meet resistance. And so it's going to be hard work. I think the beauty of pointing this out is so that you're not surprised by that. 
You know, when, when, whenever you try to lead your kids to faith, whenever you try to lead your grandchildren to follow Jesus, you know what you should expect? This is going to be hard work, right? You shouldn't expect this is going to be an easy thing. You should expect that laboring among you, it, it's, it's, it's going to demand labor. It's going to demand real effort and time and the overcoming of resistance. Now, the beautiful thing that let me encourage you with is we have the power of the Holy Spirit when we do this, right? We've talked a bunch about that in the last uh, two, or, two or three months here in First Thessalonians. There are some beautiful passages of Scripture that describe the, the partnership between your own effort and the power of the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives his own testimony about both his effort and God's power. He says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God who's within me. So praise God that we have this confidence that, you know what? When you strive to make a difference in someone's life, when you strive to help them follow Jesus, when you strive to speak truth into their life, you can have confidence in the work of the Holy Spirit being present there, but not without your hard work, okay? Your, your labor. So what's, what's the first characteristic here of a spiritual leader? They labor. They labor. That's why you can have somebody who has a title, but really isn't a spiritual influencer. Is it possible to have the title of a pastor but not work hard investing in people's lives? Absolutely. Is it possible to have the title of a deacon or the title of a Sunday school teacher and yet not be working hard in the lives of people? Absolutely. And on the other side, it's very possible to have no title at all and yet be a person who is doing incredibly great things for the kingdom of God. You know why? Because they're willing to labor in the lives of people. They're willing to wear themselves out caring for people and speaking truth into people and praying for people and coming alongside people and encouraging people and texting people and being a relentless person who checks in with others. Man, if there is one tool that, that is indispensable in the spiritual life, if you're gonna be a spiritual leader, it is the tool of checking in. Just checking in. Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? How was your week? How, how's your relationship with your wife? How, how's, your, how's your prayer life? How's your, how's your scripture? Like, where are you? How, how can I help you move forward? But that takes work, doesn't it? It takes labor. And by the way, if you don't have a title, I'll just say this. I don't think God is impressed with titles. I, I, I don't think he is. I, I do think God is impressed with those who labor for the work of the ministry. So number one, what's the description of a spiritual leader? Somebody who labors. Number two, somebody who is over you in the Lord. I'm, I'm reading right out of verse 12 there. We ask you, brothers, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now, this is something we do, actually don't like very much, okay? Uh, we don't like when we start talking about being over somebody in the Lord. Well, hey, hold on. You're not over me, right? Here's something that I think we should welcome, okay? I, I know I welcome this as a, as a new believer particularly. I was looking for somebody to help me. I was looking for somebody that had been farther than I had been in, in my Christian life, who knew more about Jesus than I knew, who, who knew how to pray more than I. I was looking for that person to, to help manage my spiritual life. Uh, that, that's another way to translate that, that phrase, over you in the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, it's used again, and, and it, here's how it's translated. It's talking about a pastor, and it says, he must be someone who manages his own household well. 
What does it mean to manage your household? Well, well it means that you're, you're a dad who cares for and provides for and counsels and encourages and oversees and protects, sets the tone, sets the emotional tone for your family. I had to do a little bit of this yesterday. Uh, we had a big, big day. Everybody had to be doing their part. Everybody had to be working. And, and one of my family members was, oh, you know, and I, and I, had, to, I had to come and, hey, hey, come on. You know, we need you today. Thank you so much. I'm praying. Let me pray for you right now. You know, I want to pray that you're going to have joy. I know we got a big day. I know lots to uh, ask of you, but I'm praying for you. And then three or four hours later, I text them, hey, how are you doing? Just want to know, I'm, I'm still praying for you. That, that's what it means to manage something, right? That's what it means to manage your household. That's the same word that's, that's used here. So it's someone who labors, and it's someone who's willing to take some responsibility in the lives of other people. Number three, it's someone who admonishes you, okay? Look at verse 12, okay? So you see, you see the three of them right there? We ask you, brothers, respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonishes you. Okay, what's, what's the word admonish mean? Admonish means to instruct with the purpose of helping someone change, okay? It's not just information, okay? Like instruction, it could just be, hey, I want you to know that there's 12 inches in a foot. There you go. You're welcome, right? 12 inches in a foot. That doesn't help you change, though, does it? Admonish means I'm going I'm to speak into your life with the purpose of helping you follow Jesus, helping you sin less and be like Jesus more. That's what it means to admonish. In fact, I would say the primary characteristic of a spiritual leader is that it's somebody who speaks this truth in one way or another into the life of somebody else. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, I think is one of the best definitions of the Bible of a spiritual leader. Let me read it to you. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Isn't that great? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And so if you want to be a spiritual leader, you don't have to go to seminary. Okay? Isn't that great? In fact, most people, I don't even know that I should have gone, okay? But most people don't need to go to seminary. You, don't need, you know what you need to do to be a spiritual leader? You need to refine the skill of taking the word of God and, and, and delivering that into people's lives in, in, in a way that helps them to change, okay? Not in a way that beats them up. Not in a way that doesn't make sense to them. Not in a way that's squirrely and weird, okay? But in a way that helps them change. That's what the word admonish means, now, the other side of this is how should we think of these folks, okay? So, so verse 11 says, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Do you see the one another there? Okay, so, so what I've been talking about so far is how do I do this for Gary, right? How do I do this for Gary? Well, I, I want to I spend some time laboring in Gary's life. I want to spend some time, you know, helping him and, and speaking truth into his life and, and, and urging him forward in Christ, Okay? I also want him to do that for me. Okay, so the second part is, how do I think of Gary when he comes in my office and says, Pastor, how are you doing today? How can I pray for you? How's your spiritual life? How should I think of Gary when he does that for me? Well, this tells us. Verse, verse 12, first of all, says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. First of all, I, I need to respect Gary when he does that. I need to welcome that. I want to tell you something really interesting. I think that's a good translation. In the context of that, I've read a bunch. I've read a bunch of commentaries. But I think it's a good translation. But would you like to know what the actual Greek word there is? Super interesting. It's no. 
K-N-O-W. No. That's kind of weird, isn't it? But, but the context makes it clear that it, it's this idea of, of, of respecting his ministry in my life. But you know what's, what's beautiful about the word no? Is you see, you know what my tendency might be when Gary comes in and says, hey, pastor, how, how are you doing? How's your spiritual life? What's my tendency? I ain't going to tell you nothing. Right? I, huh? Come on. Some of you are exactly that. Right? I don't want you to know nothing about me. That's why we have all those phrases about, like, how are you doing? Well, I'm better than a one-legged man. You know, like, right? Like, that, that's why we have all those. You know what all those phrases are about? I don't want you to know nothing about me. If you know something about me, you might tell somebody. I'm not going to tell you that I just had a fight with my wife, you know. You spread it on Facebook. See, the only way this deal works is if, if I respect Gary's ministry in my life. If I, if, I, if I welcome him knowing me and me knowing him. Number two, look at verse 13. Esteem them very highly. That, you know what that means, right? That means you value you value people investing in you. You value the ministry of you becoming like Jesus. What, what kind of price tag do you put on that, my friends? What kind of price tag do you put on, on, on people helping you become like Jesus? I think it ought to be high. I, I think you ought to value that. You ought to esteem it. Esteem it. You ought to, you ought, you ought to cherish that. That ought to be really important to you. That, that you have people in your life that are helping you become like Jesus. It ought to be so important that you seek it out relentlessly. That you look for people to share your life with that can help you follow Jesus. You know, if, if you esteem it, you know what happens? You're not afraid of accountability. People are afraid of accountability. You, people, you know what people don't want? People don't want anybody telling them, hey, that's a bad decision you're about to make. They don't want that. Why? Because I want to make it, Right? Like, I want to do the thing. I don't want you telling me that that's a bad idea. Okay, but what the Bible's saying is for this, this encourage one another, build one another up, for it to work, you, you, have, you have to have the ability to highly value the people God sends to help you become like Jesus. You need to welcome that in your life. Welcome people into your life. Welcome the Word of God into your life. Welcome a voice of accountability in your life. Esteem them very highly. Okay, so what is it? What does it look like to be a spiritual leader? One who labors, one who's over you in the Lord, one who admonishes you. Okay, how should we think of those people? We should respect them. We should esteem them very highly in love because of their work. All right, look at the next phrase. Does anybody think it seems out of place? All right, it's in verse 13. Esteem them very highly in love because of the work. All of a sudden, Paul says, be at peace among yourselves. Now, why in the world would Paul have to insert, be at peace among yourselves? You know why? Because whenever we start dealing with the sin in each other's lives, what do you think there's a tendency to happen, huh? What, what do you think there's a tendency to, to create, okay? That has a tendency to create conflict, right? Brokenness. All right? I would even go further and say anytime we are not obeying the word of God, anytime we are sinning, the consequence of sin is conflict. It is a lack of peace. Sin will always destroy peace. 
Okay, I'm going to do something just for a second that I don't know if it's a good idea or not. But I, I was just, I watched two minutes of news this week, which is way more than I usually watch. And I, it's kind of discouraging, okay? Um, there is a complete lack of peace in our country. And, and I, I want to show you what I believe is the answer to that, okay? I think the answer to that is, is what Paul's going to say here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. Now, in this passage, Paul is talking about prejudice that is at a level that we have no idea. We've never seen it in our lifetime. Prejudice like Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 2. It is the prejudice between Jew and Gentile. It, it was so much thicker than anything we've ever seen in America, okay? The, the Jews, and honestly, they had some good reason uh, almost some biblical reason to think of the Gentiles differently. But here's the way the Jews thought of the Gentiles. They are different in heritage. They are different in culture. They are different in promises. They have a different way to God. They actually have no way to God. They, they are different in tradition. They are different in food. They are, and, and we are going to stay different. In fact, they were convinced we, it is right for us to always be different than the Gentiles. Right? That, that's what we're dealing with in Ephesians 2. Now listen what. Paul says brought peace, okay? You ready? 2.14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. All right, let me, let me see if I can just run through that really quick. I, I know there's a, a bunch there, but let me see if I can run through that real quickly for you. First of all, here, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying there, there, there's two divisions in the world. There's a division between man and God. There's a division between men and men, particularly here, Jew and Gentile, okay? And, and what he's saying is there was no hope for this division between us and God. Like there was literally nothing that we could do to make that right. We did not have peace with God. We were enemies with God. We, we, we had sinned against God. We were in rebellion against God. We didn't care about God. We, we, we offended him with our every breath. There was no way for us to make that right. And then here comes Jesus. God sends him to live the perfect life and to die a substitutionary death on the cross that through repentance and faith we might be joined to him and in being joined to him we immediately have peace with God right just through Jesus through his death through his life we now have peace with God now when God looks at me there is no brokenness there is no I'm his enemy there there is no offense why because Jesus Christ's righteousness puts me at peace with God. He is pleased with me because of Jesus. But it does something else. It also puts me at peace with every other believer. No matter if they are a Jew or a Gentile or a pagan or no matter what race or nationality or preferences, any of that, it automatically, if they're a believer in Christ, it makes peace between us. Why? Well, because now we're both joined to Jesus. Me and that person that's so different from me, we're both joined to Jesus. We're, we're connected to God 
through Jesus. And now we have one name and we have one Savior and we have one Holy Spirit indwelling us and we are part of one family. We have one Father. We have one mission. We are part of one universal church. We have the same Holy Scriptures. We have the same love of God poured out into our hearts. We have the same hope and the same calling and the same future. And we are commanded to have the same care for one another. And we are commanded not to show partiality, but to practically love and care for one another. And and all of that means peace. All of that means if we believe that and take that serious, it brings peace. It brings peace even, even in small things. How many opinions are there in this room about what we should do next week? Well, how many people are there? Right? How many, how many opinions are there in our church about music style, about service times, about campus locations, about... Oh my, lots. We're incredibly different. But here's what's also true. Every born again believer at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church is joined to Jesus, connected to him. We have peace with God only one way. We have 99.99% common and the other stuff I'm not sure matters very much. There's peace. All right now, I think it's important Here in Thessalonians, just from the standpoint of we must pursue peace with one another if we're going to fulfill what he tells us to fulfill. If we're going to encourage one another and build one another up, we need to pursue peace. And by the way, let me me just share one verse with you, and then we got to be moving on here. But I I think the best way to pursue peace is through practical care for each other. You would think it would be through me convincing Gary that I'm right, right? Like if we disagree on something, you'd think, how do we get peace? Well, I got to convince him I'm right. And he's thinking, well, I got to convince pastor I'm right. That's not what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same. Guess what the next word is? Well, you don't have to guess. You can read it. Care. Same care for one another. You know what happens when we care for people really well? We find that there's peace, right? All right, how are we going to do this ministry? Okay, so that was all, what does it look like? Now, how are we practically going to do it? Well, verse 14 says, we're going to urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak, be patient with them all. Okay, the first thing I want, to, I want to, to, to point out to you there is that not everybody is in the same place, Right? When you, when you start this ministry of encouraging one another and building one another up, one of the things you're going to have to realize is not everybody's in the same place. So not everybody needs the same thing, right? You're going to help them follow Jesus, but some people are here and some people are here and some people are here. So you've got you to figure out where, where are they and, and how do I help them move forward? Now, notice he, he mentions three big categories here, okay? He says, first of all, I want you to admonish the idol. It's amazing to me how much Paul talks about idleness in First and Second Thessalonians. All right, idleness is an undisciplined life. It's a disorderly life. It's an irresponsible life. It's this. It's people who are not taking care of business. All right, 
Have you ever read the book of Proverbs? And there's this theme that goes all the way through the book of Proverbs about the sluggard, right? It, you, know what, you know what the commonality of the sluggard is? He doesn't, he doesn't get things done. Like there's stuff, there's wheat that need planted. There's, there's crops that need harvested. There's, there's a wall that needs to be built. There's, there's a field that needs to be tilled. And he's not doing it. He's playing on his phone, right? Uh, he didn't have a phone in Proverbs, but he's doing something. But he's, he's not doing that, okay? And, and, and that flows into 1 Thessalonians here with this idea of idleness, okay? L- listen, listen to how Paul talks in 2 Thessalonians. I want you to think about the number of times he talks about idleness here. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, he says, uh, We command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. We were with toil and labor. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you because we did not have the right, but because to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. All right, so this is a big deal in the Thessalonian church, and I think it's a big deal in our spiritual life. Not, not only physically, but particularly spiritually. Is there Many times what encouraging one another in the faith means is that we need to encourage each other to take care of our spiritual business. There's times when we're not, we're not taking care of our prayer life. We're not taking care of our time in the Scriptures. We're not taking care of our time in worship. We're not taking care of our, 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 our repentance like there's business that needs to be done. You know, one of the most common ones I find? How you doing? Oh, I'm okay. Well, tell me about your week. And you know what flushes out of that? There was an offense, right? There was a broken relationship, and it's not taken care of. There hadn't been forgiveness. There hadn't been reconciliation. There hadn't been what? What's happening there? There's something that really needs to be done. That's the equivalent of, it's time to plant wheat. Did you do it this week? No, I just keep putting it off. Admonish the idol. Okay, admonish the idol. Take care of your spiritual business. But notice, that's not the only problem. Number two, some folks are faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. All right, I, I heard a guy say one time, the faint-hearted are the fearful fretters. I like that. The fearful fretters. All right, these, these are folks that idleness is not their problem. Their problem is, man, they're anxious. They're worried. They're fretting. They've, they've let all the problems of life consume their, their spiritual energy. And Paul says, well, for them, they don't need admonished. They need encouraged. Those folks, they, they need someone to pray for them. They need, they need someone to come alongside them and say, hey, let me remind you of the promises of God. Let me remind you of, of, of what Christ has done on your behalf. Let me remind you of your spiritual blessings in Jesus. Some folks are idle. They need to take care of spiritual business. Some folks are faint-hearted. They're fearful. They're fretting. Some folks are weak. Sometimes we go through seasons in our life where we're just weak. Physically weak, spiritually weak, I find those two go together normally. A lot of times when you're sick, when you're, when you're physically weak, you can get spiritually weak. Okay, Weak in faith, struggling to believe, beset by doubts, struggling to pray, struggling to stay connected to other believers, struggling to stay in the Word, struggling against temptation. And literally Paul says, those folks, you need to help. The word help means, I love it, to cling to, 
to hold up. You know how you help somebody who's weak? You can't do it from across the room, okay? If Ed's walking out here in a little bit and I see he starts to stumble, it doesn't do any good for me to say, Ed, I'm with you. I, I got to get close, don't I? I got to get close again. It's, it's the problem with the in and out life. I got to get close and I got to provide some support. Sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes let me, let me help carry this burden with you. Let me help carry this load for you. Help the weak. And then the last phrase, be patient with them all. Why in the world would Paul finish this by saying, you got to be patient? You know why? I, I love it when, when people change, bam, just like that. Isn't that beautiful? When you got somebody that just, they're like a rocket in their spiritual life. That hardly ever happens. Most of the time, I heard somebody say one time, we, we're not microwaves. We don't change like microwaves. We change like crockpots, right? Like, it's slow. It, it's, it's slow. Have you noticed that with your children, with your people you disciple, people you invest in? Man, change can be slow. And you know what patience is? Patience is being willing to carry a heavy thing for a long ways. That's what patience is. Patience is you stay in there. It's really easy when you invest in somebody and they're not changing. Have you ever, hey, we met last week and I prayed for you and you had this thing that, you know, was really on your plate to do. It's been a week. I meet with you again. Hey, how are you doing? Nothing. You know what patience is? You hang in there. Hey, it's a new week. Uh, let's pray again. Let's, let's look at these scriptures. Would it help if I went with you? Right? Carry the load. Be patient with them all. Can I tell you why you ought to do that for other believers? You might be thinking, well, I, nobody did that for me. I'm a self-made man. You know, I, I did it on my own. Let me tell you, Jesus has been really patient with you. Hasn't he? He's been really patient with me. Encourage one another. Build one another up. We are going to finish our service today by taking of the Lord's Supper together.